the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. We are a minute up, no, 1 a.m. on the East Coast, midnight for uh, for those of you in Central Time. And uh, we've got a national championship. It will be Alabama, the number one seed, winning convincingly against Notre Dame. It will be Ohio State, the number three seed, just winning very convincingly uh, against Clemson, 49-28. to Justin Fields had six touchdowns and just six incompletions. We got two games to to break down here as well as looking ahead to the national championship matchup 10 days from now in Miami between Alabama and Ohio State. The interesting uh, piece of this, and I I mentioned it um, earlier tonight, but like when you're so dialed in to how you think a game is going to go, and it doesn't go that way, and you can realize it early. And for me, that was Clemson's going to win, and it's going to be low scoring. Where it's going to, you know, big game Dabo, Clemson's defense is going to show up. When it's 14 to 14 and Clemson's defense is getting shredded early, I just, I throw it all out the window. I'm like, well, let's just buckle up and let's have fun, man. Let's mess around and let's just sort of see what happens. Um, I don't know, but like, I feel like we, we got to attack the Sugar Bowl first, right? Like, I'm not just sitting here. I don't know if you, if anybody's still been hankering on some Alabama Notre Dame takes, but I mean, what a performance by Ryan Day and the coaching staff, by Justin Fields, vengeance for last year's Fiesta Bowl. I mean, a lot, lot of happy people in Columbus right now. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Chip. I spent all week check the tape saying that Ohio State was going to blow Clemson out. I don't know what you're talking about. You did say no, no, but you did say Tom like. I, I, yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, what, yeah. what did the little voice in my head say the other day when it was on one of either the bowl previews or whatever, one of the million things we've done together this week? What if they're there peaking? There's that voice in the back of my head. Yeah, what What if Ohio State has not had a chance to find a rhythm because they haven't, they started late, they've started, they've stopped, they've had games canceled in the same way that we see teams every single year need four games to sort of figure themselves out. What if Ohio State's got it? You were right. I was. I wasn't right. Well, you, you were. You were you, the, the little voice, at least, was dialed into something that seemed to play out, at least to my eyes. Yeah. No. It was. I mean, I thought that the way that that game started, it was going to be another blowout. But I just didn't think it was going to be the blowout that we saw because, like, Clemson came out on fire. Like they they got the ball to open the game and just marched right down the field on him and made it look really, really easy. And it was just like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> we've seen Ohio State's defense have problems all season long. 
And then for them not to have Zach Harrison to find that out shortly before the game, thinking, well, that's going to impact the pass rush. And then to see Clemson just put together that opening drive, I was just, my initial reaction was, whew, it is, it's going to be a long night for the Buckeyes defense. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I mean, I had, I had the wrong read on this game um, for sure. And, and yet, so like now that Ohio State has won and the way they've won and that we're going to have Ohio State-Alabama national championship game, I'm glad that's the way it happened. I know we're not supposed to root for teams, but that's more intriguing to me. Okay, Ohio State has found something here. Like Ohio State, like you said, Tom, has sort of found a rhythm here at the, at the last possible moment. Ohio State and Alabama – are the most talented teams in the country this year. Like that, those are the two teams that are supposed to be here. And even as, and I don't, I, I don't, I promise you, I'm not trying to like just distill this down to like who's most talented, but like, well, that'd be Georgia who uh, needed a 53 yard <laughs> field goal to beat Cincinnati on Friday. Right, but, right. Yeah. <laughs> but even the Georgia, even like the Georgia's most talented argument is which is the 24 seven composite, I guess has Georgia one. Yeah. Uh, but, but even that's like, that's driven by their freshman class right now. Like, the, the, the most talented teams that have come of age right now are Ohio State and Alabama. I mean, Al- Alabama's 2017 recruiting class, which is the best recruiting class of Nick Saban's entire tenure, is the one that's driving this roster right now. Like the surge in recruiting over the last few years in Ryan Day is what's driving this Ohio State roster right now. My point being is just like, awesome. Okay. Like, and even Clemson, as good as Clemson is, like they – like again, they're the reason that this is the most talented Clemson team of all time is because this freshman class is the most highest rated class of all time. So I'm just excited that yes, Ohio State has just found it late in the year. Justin Fields is clicking. The receivers are sick. The defensive line played out of its mind, and now they're going to go play Alabama. And it feels like they that they they can play with Alabama. I think the line's seven and a half or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't know, like that. Ohio State. Could, looks like they can play with Alabama. And I, I feel like this was such a great night for Justin Fields, not just because, I mean, the numbers that he put up, obviously, 385 yards, six touchdowns, Sugar Bowl record, Ohio State Bowl record. It's that, because if you look, if we think about how his season is gone and we think back to the offseason where it was, all right, Trevor and Justin, you know, the top two players in the country, the two Heisman favorites, two guys that are probably going to be the first two picks in the draft. And then the Big Ten season was just kind of all messed up. Trevor started on time, played well, got COVID, missed a few games, came back, played really well, kept playing well. And absolutely nothing went wrong for him all year. His stock stayed perfect. Meanwhile, Justin Fields was kind of on the sideline while guys like Mac Jones had terrific seasons. Kyle Trask was putting up ridiculous numbers. Zach Wilson was putting up ridiculous numbers for BYU. And suddenly the conversation turned into, is Justin Fields even the second best quarterback in the country? And we saw that when they started the season, he played really well in Ohio State's first three games. He wasn't putting up like 500 yard and five touchdown games, but he was being Justin Fields. He wasn't screwing up. He was completing like 85% of his passes. And then they had their one game against Maryland canceled. They had come back a week later, faced an Indiana team that at the time we thought was good, but it was not, we didn't probably have the same kind of 
give it as much credence as it probably deserves as the season goes on and it has proved. And he played, you know, kind of poorly, he had a rough day, but they still won the game and moved on. Another game's canceled, comes back against Michigan State, balls out despite missing most of his offensive line, but then another game's canceled, has to face Northwestern defense that today, you know, we saw shut down Auburn completely for the most part and has proved to be one of the best defenses in the country all season long. And he goes into that game missing a couple key starters alongside him on the offense, including Chris Olave, who is the team's big play threat in the passing game. And that clearly affected their ability to throw the ball in that matchup. So he had a poor game there. So there was a lot of questions, I mean, for myself too, about Justin Fields and the season that he was having. So for him to come out in this spot against this team and this defense and have that kind of night, it's like, oh, no, wait, he's he's still like one of the two best quarterbacks in the country, and he has been all along. Hey, who has... Who has the two best wide receiver cores in the country? Alabama and Ohio State. I think that's true. I, are we forgetting someone? Mm. I mean, North Carolina. Carolinas are good. Who am I? No, I, I, I there is. So the the thing that's interesting. Oklahoma, uh, maybe. Um, the tight end position: three touchdown passes to tight ends for the entire season combined. Three touchdown passes to tight ends in this game. Like, are we including this? Uh, like, was that a schematic yeah, I thing? Mean, like, well, it seemed like it was. It seemed like, especially early on, like they almost used that to, um, like, I don't know, keep keep Clemson's base personnel on the field. And, you know, I, I don't know. They, they, were, they did seem to, to lean on the tight ends early on, but then, like, late in the game, you know, things loosened up. And then it was about Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson making plays down the field. Um, and my point in saying the the wide receiver comment, I tweeted it today. It was like the, and I've, I've said this before, I think, but like the wide receiver position is the new defensive line. Like you have to have those guys to win national championships. And I think that, I mean, it's clear. We'll get to Notre Dame. But that was clearly the thing that Notre Dame's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this Clemson team has wide receiver talent. There's no question, but like, it's not really the same as the Justin Ross T Higgins crowd. Uh, and so I just think like, that's, that's like, if you have that theory, this is a pretty good like evidence of it. I have that theory. This is a pretty good evidence of that theory being true is like wide receivers are, are like a, a prerequisite right now. So I, I think that Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers, the way that they played this year, were good enough to be able to help Clemson win this game. Sure. I thought that the offensive line let them down. And and you can also give credit to Ohio State's yeah. defensive front for winning a lot of battles, but um, the warning signs that we had for Clemson's offensive line probably had to come from the rushing attack throughout the season, a uh, rushing attack that wasn't as productive as it had been the last couple of years. You know, we said so we – We've mentioned it time and time again, Travis Etienne. He he wasn't putting up the kind of numbers, wasn't having the kind of performances. Clemson wasn't as good on first and second down this year. A lot of third and long where Trevor Lawrence was just able to bail him out. Like I I think that the way they played, raw talent, I think that you know, Garrett Wilson, what five star guy is was Chris Olave five star guy as well. I mean, he was a four. He was a, yeah. he was a three or some people. He was a Jackson Smith Jigba is ridiculous player. Like the yep. raw talent for Ohio State, I'll definitely give you that. I, I think that where Clemson really got let down was number one on the offensive line and number two defensively, I, I truly believe that Ohio State's coaches just spent all season in the, the same like Notre Dame swagger, like, yeah, we're, play, we're preparing for Clemson. 
I I think that Notre Dame was has been preparing for Clemson and preparing for going up against Brent Venables, and this has been something that's been going on for a very very long time. So it's like the defense was on its heels, something we're not used to seeing. And the offensive line probably was masked a lot by the greatness of Trevor Lawrence. And when it went up against Ohio State team that was prepared and really good and solid on the defensive front, got a little bit exposed, man. It's it it just even though the final score was forty nine to twenty eight. And like you mentioned, Tom, right out the gate, uh, they were just cooking. Hey, maybe that's Tony Elliott's absence too. Also, once you go off script and the offense kind of gets lost in the wilderness, mm. but um, but I it it had a lot of feels of an the feeling of inevitability was like playing Alabama in the Sugar Bowl semifinal a few years ago. We were just like, well, except instead of Clemson's never going to score, it was like, well, Clemson's not going to stop Justin Fields from scoring. Like, it's just not going to happen. I don't know. I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to get to 35 or 42, but Ohio State's going to have more. And that feeling of inevitability, uh, I think, is, uh, you know, it's, it's a twist that we didn't see coming for this Tigers team. Yeah, and you mentioned Travis Etienne, who did not have the same kind of season he had last year, obviously, overall. But it's not a coincidence that, like, when you look at Travis Etienne's two worst games of the season, they're the two games Clemson lost. He had the 1.6 yards per carry against Notre Dame in that first loss in the night they didn't have Trevor. And tonight he was held to 3.2 yards per carry. So by yards per carry metric, those are his two worst rushing performances of the season. Clemson loses both games, and it's not exactly a shocker to find out that, like, if you take away one facet of Clemson's offense, they become a lot easier to defend. And like you mentioned, Ohio State took away the run game, forced Clemson to have to pass. And I wrote about this because we had to write those posts of, like, you know, this team will win if, and I got Ohio State. And I wrote one of the reasons if Ohio State wins is because as far as its front, it has been one of the best defenses in the country at pressuring quarterbacks. They rank third in the nation in pressure rate on opponents, on opposing quarterback dropbacks at coming into tonight. They were at 41.33%. The difference in this Ohio state defense this year compared to where it had been in last years in previous years is they didn't have that alpha kind of pass rusher guy to really finish the job. They didn't have a Bosa. They didn't have chase young and Zach Harrison, although he's been good has not really been the prolific, you know, guy to finish it off. So they haven't had that sack rate, but as far as getting pressure on them, that's been there all year. That was there tonight. And that really took hold in the second half when they had that lead and they'd already taken ETN out of the game and they knew that Clemson couldn't afford to hand the ball off. And that's when we saw everything kind of really collapse around Trevor Lawrence tonight. And it was, I tweeted it at, during the game. I says, it was kind of like a little glimpse into what life is probably going to be like for Trevor and Jacksonville the next two years. Trevor Lawrence, by the way, did finish with 400 passing yards. Yeah. On a night, he, on, on like a horrible night, he still threw 400 yards. 33 for 48, 400 yards, uh, three total touchdowns, one rushing, two passing, one interception uh, in the end zone. But uh, I just, I, I go back to, I, th- I think that you look at the way they started and then you look at the way that things went after. And uh, like, anecdotally and we do this on this podcast on these instant reaction shows way too much i did not mark down the down and distance or the time but do y'all remember at least once where on a clemson rpo like travis Etienne or lynn j dixon was on the wrong side of trevor lawrence yes like the fake went to the wrong side 
immediately I was like, I wonder if there's a, like a communication breakdown with the signaling where you, because St- Brandon Streeter, the quarterback's coach is now the new offensive coordinator. That probably means that in the whole line of communication, I, I'm just imagining this, there was some graduate assistant or somebody that had to be in a new position and just that little bit of a wrinkle led to a few more mistakes where uh, just things were not clicking once they got off the first 15 to 20 plays. Yeah, just there there was it did just feel like Clemson was just missing something. Um just just all night long. It just felt like a little bit of a different team. Like it was on its heels. Um offensively and defensively, it felt like. It was it was uh Ohio State was the aggressor. We're so used to seeing Brent Venables dictate defensively as well. And I know you're talking about offense and no Tony Elliott, but uh you don't see Brent Venables defenses like especially like even early in the game, there was a couple of times when like there was a lot of like miscommunication defensively, and they weren't even getting lined up right, and um, it was just a uh, it was kind of a sloppy performance um, by Clemson standards, and you know that that this felt like it felt like Ohio State's been the one where something's been missing most of the year, and then you know in this game things just were tightened up. Uh, they, they had ironed it out. And I do think that, um, you know, the motivation over the course of the week from Dabo Sweeney's, you know, talking smack stuff, I don't think that that probably made that much of a difference. But I think that, you know, I, I do think that a, like a, a, a calendar year of motivation, looking at one score, like I, I it think was in the locker room. They they had yeah. the Fiesta Bowl score in the locker room like this. We've is- seen it before in the playoffs. Like wasn't it? Uh, what was it? Like the I mean the Clemson team that was kind of playing okay all year, and then like when it got to the championship against Alabama, like they they rolled them because of that motivation factor. And like I I think that that I think that matters. Yeah, I, I don't think like I think once you get on the field, that stuff probably doesn't matter anymore but it matters in the 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 lead up to it yeah that's what i'm saying in the prep because like there was a quote from urban meyer i can't remember if it was today or yesterday it was like a pre-game show and he said that you know he talked to well he didn't say who he talked to but i think we can figure out who he talked to he said that he was told that after the comments from Dabo about putting them at number 11 he said he was told that ohio state had its three best practices over the next three days and I think that it's so it clearly it had some kind of impact. And like you said, I mean, they, they've had the proper motivation all year from last year's game. But I think it was just another kind of nudge going into the game. Just a little little bit more gasoline on the fire. And it's weird because when we think about like Dabo Sweeney and his whole approach at Clemson over the last few years where it's constantly been Clemson is the one getting disrespected. You know, like last year when they started the year at number one, they were undefeated, but they'd fallen in the polls and these, you know, the whole little old Clemson, nobody believes in us and all that kind of stuff. That's what, like, Barton, you said that when he was doing all this, it only made you more convinced that he was going to wax Ohio right. State. And I, I was I I didn't disagree with it, but at the same time, I was just wondering. I I I thought like maybe it wasn't the best approach in that you're kind of going against what you've always done to begin with. Whereas now you've put Clemson into the role of being the big bad bully, and Ohio State is the little you know the little school, the little the little underdog, and it kind of took away Clemson's ability to 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 fit the role or at least play the role that it's used to playing. And I I wonder I I can't help but think not 
deciding the game because it was a 21 point game, but I can't help but think that played some kind of factor in the preparation. And then you mix in Tony Elliott, not being there to call plays. And it was just too many things working against Clemson. And I also think we have, can't overlook, you know, Nolan Turner wasn't able to play in the first half. And then James Skalski gets ejected for targeting and he's not there in the second half. So like you spend your first half without the leader of your secondary, and then you spend the second half without your captain and your middle linebacker. And I think that that, definitely played a role into some of the miscommunication and problems that Clemson was having defensively. Xavier Thomas was unavailable to play, has not played in a couple games, and K.J. Henry also left the game with an injury. There were there were some players that were like 2012, 2013 Clemson that were out there. Like Clemson, Clemson is upgraded to the point where it doesn't need some of those uh, – some of those good program guys, some of those good locker room guys, the the good fit for us. But they had a lot of good fit guys out there on the field against an Ohio State team that was cooking, and they were clearly overmatched. I thought it was big brain Dabo that was talking all that noise and chirping because big brain Dabo knew he was going to roll up Ohio State. It wasn't big brain Dabo. It might have just been pouty Dabo pissed off. He had to play these guys because they were so damn good. Yeah, that's a uh, Tom said he he wanted Texas A&M uh, in the playoff yeah. because he thought it was a way better. I'd rather play Jimbo than uh, have to face angry Ryan Day right now. Um, all right. Any before we hit the break and uh, start to get into not only Alabama's win against Notre Dame, but uh, even more of sort of what we're looking at as we spin it forward. Anything else, uh, lingering thoughts on Clemson, Ohio State? Trey Sermon has made a huge difference. Like Justin Fields is obviously the story of this game and the way he played, but Trey Sermon, the last three games, like he didn't have a single 100-yard rushing game in their first four or five. I can't remember. They've played, what, seven games? So in their first four games of the year. But he's had 100 yards rushing at least in three straight games, including like over 300 against Northwestern in the Big Ten title game. And it, I think that has played a huge role in this Ohio State offense kind of finding its groove because early in the year when they weren't running the ball consistently, it was much easier to defend them. And it's like I was talking about with Clemson with Ohio State taking Travis Etienne away. When you're one dimension on offense, you're much simpler to defend. Now defenses have to respect Trey Sermon in that run game, which is giving Justin Fields more latitude to do what he does best. And he's not being asked to run as often as he had been earlier in the year. And now this is an Ohio State offense that has Olave stretching the field vertically has Garrett Wilson being Garrett Wilson has a legit running threat in Trey Sermon and has Justin Fields and is a nightmare to, you know, to game plan for. Mm. Coming up on the other side, we look at Alabama, which seemed to dominate, but did not cover against Notre Dame. And we spin it forward for the national championship game, Ohio state, Alabama, January 11th in Miami next This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I love the way that Alabama's game ended for Nick Saban. I really do. He's got a lot to be angry about. He has so much to be angry about. That's exact. Well, we, we couldn't run the ball well. And, uh, you know, we were trying to take the air out of the game and we just couldn't run the ball well. And, and we couldn't execute on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. He was, he was getting the shoulders. He was getting the hibachi hands going on. I mean, he's <laughs> fired up about the shortcomings for Alabama in a game that like, if college football worked the way boxing did, the knockout blow was way earlier you just had to keep playing the full 60 minutes. I mean, it was just, there was never going to be a spot where Notre Dame was going to win this game. Notre Dame spent eight minutes trying to play keep away from Mac Jones and Devonta Smith. And then after that eight minute drive, they went back and scored in 221. The first three <laughs> touchdown drives for Alabama took less time than Notre Dame's laborious 15 play 75 yard drive that even required a fourth and goal conversion. Everything looked difficult for Notre Dame. Everything looks difficult and everything looked easy for Alabama. Again, Notre Dame covers. Shout out to us on just the principle that's too many points play because once again, the back door was kicked down on Alabama for the second time in a semifinal after setting the record. But uh, I just saw a lot of confirmation that Alabama is the best team in the country. So I, I, I had... I know that we, you know, we get on here and we're supposed to be talking about the games and sometimes what I end up talking about is like uh, critiquing the critiques and like commenting on the commentary. Mm-hmm. Oh, the narratives were running wild during okay. this one. There, there's one that just drove me crazy after the game or even during the game. But there was a lot of people and a lot of them are like analytics types that I follow on Twitter because I respect their opinion and I like hearing their, their thoughts. But like so many people were saying like Notre Dame never had a chance playing that style of football. Notre Dame like wasn't like that, like they weren't even trying to win. They were just trying to keep it close. Like Notre Dame was, I want I just want to like scream at him. Like, what did you want Notre Dame to do? <laughs> like, do you want Notre Dame to go like, tempo mm-hmm. and just start chucking it down the field to their to who nobody wide receivers like like there is only one way Notre Dame can win this game yes. and it's the it's the way they played it they held Alabama to 31 points and I know the reason they held Alabama to 31 points is because they tried to possess the football and I know that Alabama reeled it in a little bit second half it wasn't some defensive like lockdown but like there's only one way Notre Dame can beat this Alabama team, and it's not by doing what Ole Miss does. Yep. So, like, yes, Alabama is ridiculous. Like, it is a ridiculous team, and Notre Dame was not good enough. But what happened tonight against that Alabama team does not mean Notre Dame wasn't still the fourth best team in the country. Like, it doesn't. It just it. Notre Dame can be the fourth best team in the country. Can be in a healthy spot. Brian Kelly cannot deserve criticism for being the fourth best team in the country and just have lost to a team that might be one of the best college football teams we've ever seen. Like, 
it's it's just it was a little bit of a frustrating like narrative to listen to. Yeah, Notre, Notre Dame is the fourth best team in a country in a sport with three teams. Pretty much is the way that you could look at it, and it's uh, the narrative that drove me nuts. Like, was that you know when Ohio or Alabama jumps out to the fourteen nothing lead, and it's like, see, Notre Dame didn't deserve to be here. Notre Dame's always getting its butt kicked in big games. They're horrible, you know, blah blah blah, and it's like. They were down what? It was 21 to 7 at halftime. And yes, Alabama did take its foot off the gas a little bit in the second half. But at the same time, Nick Saban is going to be pissed off that his team only won by 17. So it's not like they were just kneeling and running the ball out. Notre Dame's defense did have something to do with slowing them down a little bit. But like Clemson, a couple hours later, gets completely waxed by Ohio State. And nobody's yeah. talking about how Clemson didn't deserve to be there when Clemson earlier this year lost to the same Notre Dame team that lost to Alabama today. And it's just, I understand that Clemson is obviously built up a lot more cred by winning national titles and getting to the playoff every year. It's just, it drives me insane that when we're halfway through a football game, making declarations about all oh, this proves that this team didn't belong to be here. Like Alabama, this is the lowest scoring output Alabama has had in a game in two years. <laughs> two years? I knew it was this year. I didn't know it was in two years. Was t- they had scored 35 points more in 25 straight games, and Notre Dame held them to 31, and again, some of it was Alabama taking its foot off the gas, but still, that was Notre Dame's strategy, because it's just like <laughs> hey. you're saying, Barton, like this is Notre Dame wasn't going to come into this game trying to beat Alabama 55 to 52. There was no way that Notre Dame could do that because that is not how Notre Dame played to get to the game. And that's and it's okay. Just, yeah. Like it's okay to have different styles of winning. Yeah. Like their best bet was try to limit Alabama's possessions as much as possible and hope that you could take advantage of mistakes or at least create something and get it, stay in the game and be in a position in the fourth quarter to at least have a chance to compete. It didn't work. It rarely works for anybody. Against but you know Alabama what? Like they, they had a chance. Like, it, like they, there was a point in the second half um, when it was like, it was, I think it was 31 to 14. And didn't they, and I think Notre Dame had had the ball with a chance to to cut it to ten. Maybe I've got the maybe it was at one point they had a chance to cut it to fourteen or something. Yeah, that was uh, in the third. Yeah, in the third. And so like, and and that doesn't look. I, I don't think they were ever like. I'm not trying to say that they're ever threatening to win that game, but but like the way they played it was was all about that was to like just hang around and just be a possession away and just you know to suddenly get a turnover and then who knows like. That they, you know, that was that is the way that Notre Dame beats Alabama, and that's okay because Ole Miss's way of trying to beat Alabama is like they were never going to beat them either. It was just different. So Brian Kelly has a point in the college football playoff era that the teams that he faced were juggernauts. That there's no gap between you know Notre Dame and being one of the elite programs or one of the elite teams during a particular season. It's just the Clemson team in 2018 was a juggernaut, and I believe that the Alabama team here in 2020 is an absolute juggernaut. It is also true that an entire lifespan of a Notre Dame player has come and gone since Notre Dame won a big bowl game. Like, winless in the BCS bowl games, winless in New Year's Six, winless in college football playoff. Like, that is, uh, if we're going to give... Alabama 
or an LSU or an Ohio State or a Clemson now or a Florida State, you know, back in the day, credit for, you know, what you have earned based on previous year's success, the Notre Dame's going to carry with it. So I, it, I don't know if y'all heard Brian Kelly in his postgame press conference. He's, I mean, he was furious. He was like, are you kidding? He was like, we were there. To your point, Barton, he said, they made terrific plays on the perimeter. And that's what he kept coming back to. He said, they beat us on the perimeter. They have the most outstanding player in college football. Uh, David, the AP player of the year, he made awesome plays. They, they threw screen passes to Devonta Smith. He turned them into 26-yard touchdowns because they've got elite wide receiver play. And I think that Brian Kelly believes that they were physical enough in the trenches that they played it for the most part the way they wanted to. They just didn't have the talent on the outside. And he said, and I thought this was interesting, he said, we're going to continue. I, I, have you all heard him say keep banging it? That's been his, his phrase. He's like, we're just going to we're just gonna keep, we're going to keep banging it. We're going to keep recruiting, and we're just going to keep showing up. And it reminds me, like, as we're making the pivot to uh, college basketball season, I know I'm speaking some foreign stuff to you, Barton, but, like, when a coach – is like the best coach without a final four, it lingers. And the NCAA tournament is random. Like it is uh, so uh, unlikely and the probabilities are crazy. And so when you get one of these like uh, best coach to not make it to a final four, all of a sudden it sort of builds up. And it feels like that with Notre Dame where I look at Notre Dame as a program, I look at the results on the field and I say, you are one of the four or five best programs in all of college football as we sit here. Healthiest, the success you have to back it up. You haven't won one of these big games, but I, I only look at that with the same amount of reverence as um, a coach who hasn't made the Final Four. It just hasn't happened yet. You've been good enough to do it. Yeah, and it's like like you mentioned, the big games in the BCS and the CFP era. Like If you look back at that 20 years from 1998 to 2018, they didn't deserve to be in a lot of those games. Like they, they were just Notre Dame. Yeah. They were Notre Dame and they were BCS games. And it's not all that different from, you know, we talk about with the playoff committee now where it was like, well, they only lost three times. They're ranked. We could put them in the Fiesta bowl against a team. They're not quite as good as, and then they get their butt kicked. And in 2012, they deserved to be in the title game, but, wasn't because they that was that was a one team season. Alabama was far and away the best team in the country. Waxed them, but since 2018 they got to the playoff. This is a different Notre Dame program. This is a team that belongs there. It has earned it. It is not to the level it needs to be if it's going to win the playoff. But it's it's not the same team that you was getting waxed by Oregon State in a Fiesta Bowl. It is not even comparable to the state of the program then and now. Yes, there there is a there is a pre. Brian Van Gorder, Notre Dame, and there's a post-Brian Van Gorder, Notre Dame, okay? We are in the post-Brian Van Gorder era of Notre Dame, so stop throwing these pre-Brian Van Gorder records at us. Um, I, I agree. I think that Notre Dame is – is <clears throat> I think that they are close. I think Brian Kelly I, – I would be pissed off too. I get it. I would be pissed off too. Um but I, I guess we should probably acknowledge that Alabama is really good also. In this, yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. Yeah. I mean, it is surgical. They only ran 55 plays in this game. Notre Dame ran 80. Notre Dame ran 80 plays in this game. And Alabama dominated just running 55 at like 7.4 yards per play. Now, again, to Nick, Nick, I wish we had run the ball better. Like... If you take away the 53-yard uh, Najee Harris hurdle, 
and run, then Alabama had less than 100 rushing yards, and they did it at around like three point something yards per carry. So, yeah, you, you got a little bit of a point. Landon Dickerson not being in that game, maybe uh, a little bit significant. Um, something to consider maybe moving forward. But, I mean, Devonta Smith was bananas in this game. Uh, even Jaleel Billingsley comes in. Then you try and like you all see John Mechie doing some uh, downfield blocking too. Yes. I mean, yeah. when I first saw John Mechie break out in the Tennessee game after Jalen Waddle got hurt, I was like, I, I just immediately put him as someone who maybe because of his measurables wasn't going to be able to play that big, but he had some dudes on skates doing some downfield blocking. Stupid, the talent they have on the perimeter. I- you get the same feeling with Devonte too. Cause it's like, you, you forget how tiny he is because he plays so much bigger than his size. But it's like when he got flipped and he landed on his back and he hurt like his hip or whatever he hurt. He's skinny. It's like, oh, that's right. There is no meat on those bones. That's just, those are skinny little legs. He's, hey, when is the, uh, when is the, when is Heisman? January 5th? 4th or 5th? 4th or 5th. Yeah. Okay. When the Heisman ceremonies arrive and Devonte Smith wins it. If, I've died before now, or between now and then. Guys, don't don't forget, don't forget about me and my campaign. Okay, this thing's gonna happen now. Yeah, it is special. Can I tell you another story? Um, can I tell you the story about the time I got hurdled? Um, I've been hurdled once in my in my playing career. One time, it was my la- the last game of my, of my football career. I was. I was taking on a block and I, I spun off the block. And as I was falling down, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback, was on a run. And, and I look up and he's hurdling me. And he hurdles me, he goes an extra with something. So I, it, was, it, was a, it was a helpless feeling to get hurdled. Okay. But I was basically on the ground when it happened. Nick McLeod is a six-foot-and-a-half cornerback who was tackling Najee Harris high. He was upright. He was standing up, launching himself into another human being, and Najee Harris jumped over him. That's 200 Five yards away. 230 pounds of Najee Harris leaping mm-hmm. in the air over Nick McLeod. And when he landed... Did not break stride. He this didn't miss a beat. Thing I've ever seen. This is the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever seen. That's the thing is when when we're seeing these kinds of performances, you're like, oh. Like, even at the beginning, it, when it was 14-14 into the first quarter in Clemson, Ohio State, I said, well, I'm glad we get one good game here because Ohio State's going to blow the doors off of who. And who knows? Ohio State absolutely could prove us wrong again. But coming off of the Rose Bowl and what we saw from the, just the individual performances in that game. I mean, what did Mac Jones do wrong? I, I don't think he made a single mistake. No. <laughs> I, just, I, I, think they're, I think they're all good. But I think, like, just, just look at that Najee Harris hurdle, all right? Now, imagine seeing that happen and then thinking that Notre Dame lost that game because Notre Dame sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like Alabama has players who do that. That's why Notre Dame lost. Incredible. Um, all right, so Alabama, Ohio State, what are the uh, the storylines and, and what are the, the, the talking points? Like, 
we'll, we'll have time to do matchups. And does Nick of- Saban have a coach's poll ballot? Because <laughs> we got to know where he put Ohio oh, State. Actually, this is going to be the story. I know it. It's fifth. Oh. No, because the only coaches to put Ohio State not in the top four of their final coaches poll ballot. Uh, obviously, Dabo's at eleven, but uh, Saban had him at five. Kirby had him at five, and one more <laughs> SEC coach had him at there five. There we go. Ohio State by twenty-one. There we go. Under if, if, if fifth is going to be enough bulletin board material for the Buckeyes. If if you're Ryan Day, do you put Clemson at eleven on the final ballot? No, Day's bigger than that. <laughs> he didn't petty like that. He's too smart. <laughs> Yeah, I would. Yeah. I don't care. I feel like I would put it at 11. I would take a picture of it. I'd put it on my Instagram. I'd put it on Twitter and then I'd send it. In. Yeah. I think that, I think that this is, like I said, the, the, at the start of this, I think at the beginning of the season, I would have said, this is the matchup we want. At as the season progressed, I, I, this would not have been the matchup we wanted. But now that we're here with the way Ohio State played tonight, I think this is once again the matchup that, that we deserve. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Finelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, we will be back on Monday. Put together the pieces. Uh, maybe do a little bit of uh, coaching carousel and sort of sort of see what's going on uh, on the rumor mill around there. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Can you imagine trying to tackle someone in the face and then they jump over you? <laughs> no. <laughs>